showing you how to reignite the embers of a distant and lonely relationship into a blazing, emotionally intimate connection. I'm your host, Amber Dawson. I'm a psychologist, author, and speaker. A few of my favorite things are my husband, Grapes, and my adorable little dog, Riggs. Now let's learn how to create a soul crush in love that lasts. Hit subscribe in your podcast app so that simply by listening, you can rekindle your relationship by pouring a little gas on your relationship ember. This podcast is for informational purposes and should not be misconstrued for specific relationship advice. For advice for your specific relationship, seek a local couples therapist for relationship counseling for couples therapy. Okay, welcome to the show. Today, I have a special guest, Terry Crawley. She's a registered nurse certified in clinical sleep health based out of Washington, DC. She's the co-author of Snoozeby and the great big bedtime battle. She's the co-founder of a four bed sleep disorder center and a nationally recognized sleep health and wellness consultant, an educator, advisor, advocate. And she works, she's worked in this field over 26 years. She's been a spokesperson for the better sleep council and serves in the start school, later board of directors. Terry works with a variety of organizations throughout the U S to promote sleep, health and wellness. And I'm stoked to have you here talking about sleep, educating us about sleep, which I think is so important in relationships. So welcome to the show, Terry. Thanks for having me, Amber. So before we hit record, Terry and I were just talking about a little bit about the undervalued message in sleep. And when I saw a name, this topic appear in my inbox, I read, I was like, oh, this, this is a topic I'd love to have on the show. Cause I was also just telling Terry, one of my most hated posts I've ever gotten on Instagram was about improving your relationship by doing basic things like making sure you're eating and sleeping. And for people, they hated that. They hated me saying that, but I think it is so important because these are very overlooked and super important parts of taking care of our health, our well-being, our relationships. So Terry, I'm just so stoked to have you here. No, it's a, it's a great cause. <laughs> yeah. So Terry, how, how did you get into sleep? How come this is important to you? Well, as a registered nurse, you know, it just health and wellness and what we can do from a preventative standpoint, uh, patient education, all of those things were uh, going on, but I was recruiting sleep doctors for an insomnia study. And I had a sleep doctor invite me to his clinic in Houston, Texas. So I spent a week staying up all night, watching people try to sleep and sleeping all day. And it was so fascinating, eye-opening and life-changing for me to realize just how fundamental sleep is to every aspect of our functioning and the quality of our lives. So I was hooked from that week on, Amber. I was, I, I thought this is fascinating and it's relatively new in, in the field of medicine. It's a new specialty when you think of everything else. And I can say we didn't um, address it too too much in, in nursing school. So it became a passion and a cause. Mm. So what, what, what surprised you or what did you think you learned that stood out to you during that uh, time that you were there that this kind of hooked your heart? Well, you know, I, I think we've just never paid a lot of attention to it. So when I started learning about it, I thought, this is so fundamental. This is square one. I remember a graphic somewhere along the line in my education where, you know, the three pillars of a healthy lifestyle are diet, sleep, and exercise. I just remember that, that picture. And now we've changed that. It's actually sleep is the foundation wow. of health and wellness and well-being because diet and exercise are completely dependent upon sleep. So I think it was just realizing how if we don't address sleep, we really can't do much else. And I looked at sufficient sleep as a preventative in so many chronic illnesses and diseases. And we've learned that there's connections with sleep deprivation and cancer, uh, dementia, Alzheimer's, um, high blood pressure, heart disease. I mean, really, really serious stuff. And of course, um, very fascinated with the obesity epidemic. I, I think there are parallel epidemics with obesity and, and uh, sleep deprivation. And I think a lot of people I talk to and in my seminars, a lot of women I talk to say, 
gosh, Terry, I'm on a diet and I can't lose weight. I've been dieting for years with no success. And I say, how are you sleeping? Mm. And Amber, it's across the board. It's like, LOL, who has time for that? Mm. <laughs> so, it, you know, it's sort of, it's enlightening, but it's also frustrating to we hear. that old saying, like, you can yeah. sleep when you're dead, but yeah. that's maybe not really good advice at all. Not, not at all. But I think a lot of us, even if we don't um, say it outwardly or, or, or obviously, I think a lot of us harbor sort of a bad attitude about sleep. And I'm on some level, we see it as a weakness mm-hmm. or a lack of ambition or right. a lack of motivation. And I remember, you know, as a teenager, my parents coming into the bedroom saying, come on, get up, get up, get up. (laughs) Don't, don't lounge around in bed. Well, you know, gee, teenagers need 9.25 hours of sleep every day. So, I mean, there's just a lack of knowledge combined with a bad attitude and sort of this uh, way we characterize sleep that has really come together to cause a lot of problems for a lot of people of all ages. So I think it's, we, we have a lot of education to do. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, that makes so much sense. I mean, I, I remember kind of vaguely hearing you should sleep seven to nine hours as like a thing, but I can remember even in university or earlier in my career feeling like the hustle culture, like if I could sleep less in a way that meant I was more successful and like doing more, like kind of like this badge of honor, like, oh, look at me not sleeping. Um, and, yeah. and that's not, I, I, I mean, fast forward now, I'm really, sleep is really important to me, but I look back and like, how did I do anything? Was yeah. I a zombie? Exactly. And and we do and we lose our point of reference and we're not really functioning optimally um, and get nowhere near peak performance. And so it's been interesting. I've, I still hear the, the argument that uh, the people want to trade their sleep hours for waking hours mm-hmm. in order to get more done. And it is it's a challenging argument to to make um to reply to these people and say, you have to look at it as we do more and we do it so much better when we're right. well rested. Yeah. So if you have more waking hours, that doesn't necessarily translate into increased productivity, um, increased chances of success, um, things like that. A couple of years ago, um, I wrote a book called Sleeping Your Way to the Top. And I, I wrote it with a um, PhD friend of mine in uh, Texas. And I think what we were trying to do is dismantle the, you know, if you want to be successful, you you have to sort of learn how to get by on less sleep than possible, because it's just a formula for failure and and sleep should not be seen as an obstacle to success. Mm -hmm. And that's however you term success, whatever success means to you, whether it's success in your chosen profession, in your relationships, in your family life, and in just everything. Mm -hmm. So Anyway, it, it's been an uphill battle, um, but I, I <laughs> and, you know, trying to reason with a sleep deprived person sometimes is trying to reason with a two-year-old, right? I mean, because we act the same. I mean, it's similar <laughs> behavior. So, so it, it's tough, but I, I think um, I, I'm working on a children's book now and I'm thinking maybe if we get the message out to children, it'll travel upstream. That's my hope. Hopefully. I mean, we learn so much yeah. about sleep from that early age, right? And those early learnings, they, they stick mm-hmm. with us. Um, they're not right. easily undone. So that, that makes perfect sense to me. Start young and hopefully <laughs> we can, you know, hold on to some of those things as we age and as we go and try to conquer and, and move our way up the ladder and have relationships. Like how do we do these things in a healthful way that actually we are able to tap into that peak performance? Right. Right. So Tell me a little bit, what, what do you see is the relationship or is there any relationship between sleep health and relationship satisfaction? Oh, absolutely. And this is again, where there needs to be some education because educate us. <laughs> I will, because sleep deprivation results in so much more than sort of feeling sleepy. I mean, I think we can all relate to that um, after, after a bad night's sleep. But it's so um, pervasive in terms of how it affects us. It affects our our executive functioning. I mean, everything, our ability to communicate is severely compromised when we're sleep deprived. We tend to have, we feel more stress um, when we're sleep deprived, whether it's, you know, baseless or or not. We handle stress um, 
poorly when we're sleep deprived. We yeah. have more anxiety. We tend to be more depressed. Um, sleep deprivation really is connected to anxiety, depression, a propensity for substance abuse, um, irritability, mood problems, you know, having mood swings. Um, we're generally dissatisfied with most everything when we're sleep deprived. Mm -hmm. um, whether it's your relationship and, and it's a partner or your your kids, your family members. I mean, we just tend to have no, you know, a lack of patience, um, mm -hmm. a, a lack of empathy. We don't feel grateful. I mean, just all of the things, all of these necessities to be in a giving, wonderful, happy relationship, all of that is out the window. And I, so I think, and, and this is important, I'll insert this here. What, what's so tricky about this and, and being aware of this is the first thing to go when we're sleep deprived is our insight. So <laughs> speak more see on how that. tricky it is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You're, I mean, it's we don't we don't see how it's affecting us. Yeah. And that's so bad. In fact, I would venture a guess that a, a an a drunk person would have a little more insight whether, you know, they're at, say, let's say a person's at a bar drinking too much. They're more likely to have insight. They'll see themselves stumble or, or tripping over the words or something and hand their keys to someone. Let's just say hypothetically, a tired person is more likely to say, I'm a-okay. I'm fine. I'm not too tired to have this conversation with my partner, drive a car, operate machinery, whatever it is. But there's no insight. Right. So that's where it gets, it, I mean, it can get dangerous. Even, I mean, and you can see how problematic it would be with relationships, but it can be downright dangerous. And that lack of insight is very, very concerning. So that's where we have to say, you know, it's 11 o'clock at night. I've had a long day. Let's not talk about our child making a C minus in, in math class in, in high school. Let's, let's save that for tomorrow when we're well rested, thinking clearly, not, you know, in, in a bad mood, able to communicate effectively and all of that good stuff. See, that's where it gets tricky. So we have to sort of, I want to, you know, structure this as we've got to sort of be preventative in how we mm. approach this and, and say, let's head this off at the pass. I may be, you know, more under the, the spell of sleep deprivation than I, than I realized. So I won't say that. I'm not going to broach this subject. Let's not talk about this now. Let's not drive now. Let's not, um, you know, do a couple, you know, let's just look at it as sleep deprivation may be impacting me right now. So I'm going to act accordingly, which is to play. Yeah, I think that's so good to kind of think about that. You might even not be aware of how that sleep yeah. deprivation is impacting you. And when you are sleep deprived. So when I hear my couples that I work with have had the biggest conflicts, often yeah. they're at night before bed, or they stay up well into the night, like they're going 11, 12, one, two, right. three o'clock in the morning. And the fight progressively escalates. It, it gets worse, right. not better yeah. as the night goes on. And that yeah. kind of coincides with that sleep deprivation. So that is one of the times fights go worse. I see worse fights, obviously when there's alcohol or drug use involved, fights tend to escalate. But, but what that shows right. us is a lack of control because of the, you're impaired by something outside of yourself, whether that's like deprivation or a substance, you know, there's things that are impairing your ability for logic, reason, insight, empathy, to notice and respond to repair attempts. Like it's really hard to do when you're not okay on a physiological yeah. level. Well, you're exactly right. And I say, go to bed mad. Yes. Just go to bed. But I that's mean, look so at the back. contrary to the popular wisdom of don't go to bed mad, but going to bed mad is very helpful. I say go to bed, <laughs> just go to bed. Everyone, yeah. a big major timeout. Look at when we battle with our children. It's usually bedtime and going to bed. And this is what happens when we're tired. So yes, that self-awareness and mindfulness of just saying this is probably, you know, this is likely impacting both of us right now. Yeah. Um, and again, we get into people with sleep issues, self-medicating with alcohol to sleep. We see that a lot, unfortunately. Tell um, us how alcohol disrupts sleep. Tell, tell us that, please. Oh, yeah. It, as you metabolize it, it may, it may, may help you fall asleep, but it's not going to help you stay asleep. And that's where it gets tricky. If you're going to, I mean, we, again, we've got to look at how much we're having and, and look at the timing. And right before bed, 
that's going to, when it metabolizes, you're going to wake up and it's going to be real hard to go back to sleep. So it's going to be a huge sleep disruptor. I mean, if you have an adult beverage, move up the time, you know, have it say at dinner time or, or right after dinner, but not, not before bedtime. And just be aware of how that can be affecting. I've had people tell me that having that drink, just moving it up an hour or two, I mean, where, you know, depending on the situation, can help them get a better night's sleep. And of course, we're probably less likely to go up um, tremendously when we're sleep deprived. We, we don't handle stressors. You know, we all have stressors. In fact, one of my favorite expressions I've heard is sufficient sleep is Kevlar for the mind. <laughs> I mean, think of that. We become bulletproof when we're well-rested. Things can bounce off of us. We, we're not as affected, but when that stress level goes up, we tend to drink or we drink to, you know, we, it, it all becomes a vicious cycle if we don't watch it and don't pay attention to timing. So yes. think about that in terms of how much you're drinking and when you're drinking. And it's it sleep, it, alcohol is never a good sleep aid. And this is another thing. Everyone should address sleep at every single health care provider encounter. Sleep is a vital sign. Um, it's so fundamental to every aspect of our functioning that it re mm -hmm. really should be addressed. Address it if you're sleeping well. If you're not sleeping well, don't assume sleep problems go away by themselves um, because they don't. There's effective treatment for insomnia, for apnea, for everything. They can be managed. So I would mm -hmm. always... Um, discuss it and, and be aware of sleep disorders and what the symptoms, uh, signs and symptoms may be. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, I think that's really important. So if you're hearing this and maybe your healthcare provider hasn't asked you about sleep, mm -hmm. whether that's in therapy or your doctor or whoever you're seeing, let them know, bring it up. Sure. It's pretty important. Absolutely. And I think how we sleep in terms of sleeping together, I hear people, you know, sort of, uh, I don't sleep well with my bed partner, but, you know, I don't want to sleep separately. That's a, that will be perceived as a sign of a poor relationship. And I say, absolutely not. I, I avoid the term sleep divorce because I think that's the connotation is sleeping apart is problematic for the relationship. And I'm saying just the opposite. If you sleep better apart, then get that sleep because your relationship will be so much better if you're getting sufficient sleep. There'll be plenty of time for romance in and around and between. And, you know, <laughs> that, that, and it'll be much more likely to happen. Um, and you'll feel more romantic if you're getting sufficient sleep. So I want to throw that in. Yeah, it's a great point. And even I was just thinking about my own life. Um, with that one, we, we recently, like three weeks ago, got a king size bed. And mm -hmm. previous to getting this king size bed, I hadn't been sleeping through the night. And right. since we got the king size bed, I'm sleeping through the night now. And I think my partner, maybe I don't know, is touching me or just close to me or <laughs> yes. breathing, breathing too near me or something sure. like that. Um, oh, sure. and, and in the last three weeks, I'm like, holy crap, I feel so much better in the day. I feel so much more rested. Yeah. It feels nice to not wake in the night. And I'm like, when I, I was kind of thinking like, yeah, not just like it could, it could be a bigger bed. Maybe I don't know what you think about that, but that has changed my game tremendously all of a sudden to not just have more space. But I think for so many couples, whether it's issues with snoring yeah. or touching each other or bedtime yeah. preferences. Um, yeah. I totally can get behind that, that sleeping in separate rooms or separate places or having more space doesn't let, isn't necessarily a bad thing. Just sometimes we need that to get that good rest. I'm so glad you brought that up because I have talked to people who that, switch from a, a queen to a king. I mean, it's a few extra inches, but it allows for more sleep positions, getting comfortable. And that in and of itself can be a huge, huge plus and, and really a huge contributor. And I remember years ago, years and years ago, when I realized how dark the um, sleep environment has to be for a good night's sleep, the blackout curtains went up. And until then, I thought I was sleeping all right. And it made such a difference. And I woke up. I remember at the first night after we had put those up, I felt so good. And and again, our point of reference can be so fluid. You know, we can it, it takes just a couple of days, weeks or months of maybe not sleeping great. And then you think you attribute it to other things or you sort of forget what it's like to get that wonderful feeling in the morning, but really pay attention to the sleep environment. 
whether you're so, sleeping yeah, what are with some, or So you without. just mentioned blackout blinds. What other things yes. are good for sleep environment? Tell it, fill us in. How should we, what should we think about with our sleep environments? Well, I mean, I, I think, you know, oh gosh, I, I can't tell you how much money I spent on getting the perfect kitchen, but <laughs> pain before I was enlightened with my, with the switching over into sleep medicine, it, the bedroom is, is very important. And um, I've talked to people who have had the same mattress for 36 years. Um, a woman I met on a plane once, she said, I've been to all these doctors. I've tried everything. Everything's negative. I don't know what it is. And I mean, I just said, has anyone asked you about your mattress? And she said, no. And 36 years. So I said, email me, go get a new mattress and email me. Let me know how that works. So that was, that was a huge win. Um, but we, we've got to keep the noise level down. And with, you know, sometimes that's easier said than done. We can't control a lot of outside noise, but, you know, again, white noise, um, Machines are great. There's some wonderful apps that you can use on the phone to drown out some of the, the noise. And again, really investing in the most comfortable mattress and just bedding and, and things that are that you feel maybe a, a splurge or luxurious. It's really important because I think when we go to sleep at night, um, I, I think it's just that environment is important. I love to tell people to make their bed in the morning and at night when you crawl into that nicely made bed, I think it sort of adds something in terms of your comfort, relaxation, and feeling of serenity. Mm -hmm. um, I do, I, I want, of course, I want the electronics turned off an hour before. And, you know, the TV in the bedroom is a huge point of contention. Some people say they just can't fall asleep without it. And rather than say, oh, you know, it's got, you know, I just don't want to be just obnoxious about the rules. It, it's, it's real life. If you have to have the TV on, put it on a timer. Mm. Um, and, and, you know, if your sleep partner finds it um, obtrusive and, and hard, you know, sleep mask. I mean, it's a tall order for two people to get in the right environment, but we really want to make it conducive to sleep. The bedroom should be as neat um, and orderly as possible. And I say that because clutter of any kind and even, you know, sort of the laundry baskets of unfolded laundry, that is, it's distracting, whether we're sort of aware of it or not. We may say, oh, you know, that's okay. But on some level, it could be distracting. So I say, keep all the the junk and the clutter and the need to do's out of the, of the bedroom and really make that a peaceful haven um so when you go to bed you feel relaxed and i do um amber tell people don't don't lie in bed and try to fall asleep mm. seems counterintuitive but you know what just just go to bed and relax so um, what's kind of the average time of onset for falling asleep what if people are like i'm having a hard time sleeping what would be the average time when when do we worry about that we're trying to fall asleep when do we worry we're laying there too long what is acceptable yeah, I mean, you know, I have people say, well, I don't worry about me. I fall asleep anytime, anywhere. The second my head hits the pillow, eh, that, that's a sign of sleep deprivation. Um, yeah. To fall asleep, I, I would say 15 to 30 minutes. Um, and certainly people have race. I mean, I, I do talk to a lot of people. I've been, I've talked to Wall Street <laughs> stockbrokers <laughs> in, a, in a seminar once. Those people were wild. They were telling me they text at 3 a.m. They're writing down new ideas. I mean, their minds are going all the time. I, I think there are a couple of things to do to sort of calm your mind. I mean, yoga before bedtime is a nice thing. Whatever it takes, coloring books for adults, fabulous. Reading is relaxing. But I tell people, um, re regardless of profession, uh, um, but I, do a to-do list at the end of your work day. Yes. Because even just however you want to write it down or, or jot it down any which way, it looks a little more manageable when you've got it on a piece of paper or in a notebook or on your phone or on the whatever. It looks more manageable. It looks like you've accomplished things. It looks like things are under control. And I I think there is a good study out there saying that it does help people sort of fall asleep and, and avoid some of that mind racing. Now it is normal to wake up during the night. And if you do wake up, that's where it gets, most people, if they're in a good sleep environment, they'll fall asleep quickly or they'll use a restroom, come back, fall asleep quickly if the room's dark, quiet and cool. But remember, if you do get up in the middle of the night, don't turn on bright lights to find your way safely to the restroom or and back. 
try to use minimal light, but also don't check your phone. Right. (laughs) Don't do that. And, and, you know, and also use a, use a bedtime alarm to help you sort of get off the electronics or, or even I've been really guilty of a page turning novel. I can't stop reading. I want to see what happens. So I use a bedtime alarm every night and that's really helped me stick to my routine because You've, you've got to start with that seven to nine hours of scheduling that in your 24 hour day and then go from there. Don't do it the other way around. Really have that carved out and do everything around that. Right. Okay. So, you know, you let's imagine people, they're like, oh, okay, like, yeah, I could put up some blackout blinds and I can invest mm-hmm. in some bedding and sure. Like what, I guess, what could be some of the benefits? I guess, tell us how, is there, what benefits do you think people could notice in their relationship by taking some of these actions that they might be a little bit reluctant to do? I, I think the, the most pronounced thing that I've heard feedback from, from people I've worked with is just overall less irritability. Yeah, that, that's um, good. You know, I mean, there, I mean, you know, not just poor remarks, not thinking before you're speaking, that impulsivity, that's another sign of sleep deprivation. I think when you think about executive functioning and and just being sort of calm, rational, um, ability to problem solve, uh, think clearly is so muddied with sleep deprivation. And and it's so, um, uh, I mean, it sneaks up again, yet we might not be aware of it, but I think um, effective communication, again, you know, be clear on, did you understand what I said? Did I say that in a, in a nice way, in a, in a helpful way, in a kind way? Am I taking into account your feelings? Am I recognizing in you signs of sleep deprivation? Or, you know what, you look like you, you know, I'll pitch in with this, go take a nap. You know, I, I tremendously worry about new mothers with babies, um, them getting the sleep they need. I mean, this is such a vulnerable time for them, but any right. any age, any age, we have to respect the need for sleep. And again, I mean, this is, this is a terrible um, <laughs> example, but I talked to, uh, she's a good friend, but she sleeps with her dog in the bed between her and her husband and the dog, has these tags rattling all night and she said well it doesn't wake me up but it drives him crazy but I want to sleep in bed with her I mean we can't have that level of disrespect I mean first of all it is affecting her because in the next sentence she's telling me she can't lose 40 pounds that she has had going on she's frustrated she's it's caused problems with her partner her frustration with that um and her constant dieting and, you know, he's complaining he can't sleep because of the dog tags and he's tried earplug. And she said, no, I got to sleep with the dogs. I mean, we've really like backed that up. I mean, these are two sleep deprived people that are not communicating effectively. They're not showing compassion. And it's just a fundamental disrespect, maybe not for each other so much as a, as the need for sleep. We really tend to, as individuals and as a society and culture, disrespect the need for sleep. Right. Because, you know, maybe deep down we're seeing it as a weakness or you can't mm-hmm. power through that or you don't care enough about me to get over it. Right. See, this is again, this is such another um, fallacy that we learn how to get by with less sleep. So right. I, I'm looking at this, these couples that are having problems. And if we really drill down, you know, we, we have to drill down to sleep. How are we sleeping? Get the dog out of the bed, for God's sakes, is, <laughs> is my answer. Or take the tags off at night. You yeah. know, we, there, there have been some studies about putting the pets on the floor of the room. And if you don't, you know, not in the bed. But I mean, think through all of that. And um, there, there was a, a DJ, a morning DJ. I used to listen to a show all the time up in, in uh, he came out of the Northeast. And, and it was interesting because you know, they have terrible hours. And he said that during the day when he tried to take a nap, you know, his wife was doing funny stuff like drawing on his face. The kids oh, wanted gosh. to play with them. I mean, <laughs> you know, and and people always, it, it we tend to laugh at the sleep deprived stories and what goes on, but this poor guy was not getting sleep and it did lead to a lot of relationship problems. So I think people would be shocked to, to really think about how many 
problems, partnership problems, relationship problems, if you were to look at it in totality, how it would go back to it, just always start off. Are both people getting sufficient sleep? Start with that. Mm. Is someone does someone have an untreated sleep disorder? Take them to the to the doctors. We tend not to go to sleep doctors as we should. Um, so I think it's a starting point and it's a conversation we should have. And we should have it during the day when yeah, they're <laughs> not, not before bed. You got it. not at 11, 10 o'clock, two o'clock in the morning. Exactly. Not the time. Stay away. Is there a relationship at all between sleep and sex? Absolutely. Our sex drive out the window when we're tired. So mm. it's not, again, you, you know, it, again, there, I mean, your, your desire, your willingness to make time for your outlook. Think of all these things that are completely diminished when we're tired. Um, right. Okay. So out stress levels high um, time management is terrible when we're tired. We don't get things done. So I, you know, you hear that a lot. I don't get things done during the day. I fall into bed late at night, exhausted. Well, because you're not functioning efficiently when right. you're sleep deprived during the day. So you don't make time for romance and your partner and, and that time together and, and date nights and everything else that relationship needs to, to be its best. All of these things, impacted. So I think it's, it's a matter of, again, respecting sleep and, and your partner's need and desires gone. God, with fertility problems go up when we're sleep deprived. I mean, again, everything is, is affected. And when we're not feeling well physically, I mean, think of heart disease, high blood pressure, diabetes, all of these things, um, depression, anxiety, so it's physical health and mental health. So when all those things are, are really diminished, think about romance is taking such a backseat and it's such a shame because if we paid attention to sleep, everything else, it just falls into place so much, so much better. So well, I hope that answered well, your question. Yeah, yeah, it totally does. And so, you know, you're talking about prioritizing sleep and helping other things fall into place. And I find my experience when I start talking about with sleep with people and prioritizing that they're worried about everything else mm -hmm. not falling into place. If they, if they finally sleep, what advice or what suggestion would you give to people if they're like, but I have all these things to do. I can't sleep. What is the argument you give them or how do you help them wrap their mind around that? Oh, it's tough. And getting them to wrap their mind around <laughs> right. <laughs> Job security for me, because I, it, it is, it's tough. And Okay, so one of my seminars, a woman sat in the front row. We we're talking about kids needing sleep, teenagers, but it's relevant to adults. The, the woman said, look, if my son got 9.25 hours of sleep a night, which a teenager should be getting, and a lot of the teenage angst that we attribute to being teenagers is actually just attributable to sleep deprivation. Okay, so she says he's not going to get the study hours in that he needs to go to a wonderful Ivy League school. Um, I said, okay. So she said, okay, homework time is six to seven hours a night. And, but he's trying to go, he's running on six hours of sleep every day. A teenager. Trying to do six his to brain seven hours developing. of homework a night on six hours of sleep. That is wild. I mean, it makes no, see, this is what we have to really drill down to the formula. Right. And I said, look, give him nine, get him in the sleeping aids. He's going to do more, do it better, do it faster, retain it. So the so it's quality versus quantity, right. and that is hard for people to understand because they they want they think it's doing more, but I say no, it's doing better. So you mm. cannot trade those sleep hours for waking hours in an effort to get more done. It doesn't work. And besides, so many of those extra waking hours are going to be spent with everything else that's a result and a consequence of sleep deprivation, whether it's doctor's appointments, whether it's doing things three times because you haven't done it right, whether it's a trip and fall at work because you're tired, whether it's a fender bender because you're tired, whether you do something, I mean, you forget to, to go handle something that you should have handled weeks before. We get forgetful. We, we can't problem solve. We don't think clearly. All of these things fall in. So it's not a formula for success. And I think when we put people on, say, a 30-day challenge to say, just forget all everything else and do that seven to nine hours of sleep a night for, for the adults, kids need more, 
see, and it takes a couple of weeks. It's not overnight for a lot of people because again, they've got a huge sleep debt they've accrued. So it, it's important to spend about 30 days making that a priority. And then, then you get a, the feedback is amazing. Like I'm thinking clearly, I do it right the first time. I do it better. I'm quicker. I People tell me they have more free time, more free time when they get plenty of sleep. Mm-hmm. So think about that in work-life balance because that work-life balance is essential for good relationships, right? Mm-hmm. Don't take your work home for you from, you know, do it at work so you can have a good relationship in, in any any sense of the word. So all of it plays out. So I, I think, again, trying it, it the, the bottom line is changing your attitude about sleep. Look at it in terms of all of the benefits sufficient sleep confers rather than it's a time waster because it, every day we get new new research findings, you know, how important it is. I mean, it just, it just every day something new benefits from, from sufficient sleep. So we really, really have to make that a priority and it can be life-changing to people do it. Absolutely. And the one thing that kind of strikes me with people that are in constant sleep debt and sleep deprived, eventually, eventually I've had some people end up in my office with uh, high anxiety or high depression. And we'll have to talk to them about like, look, this is our natural stress curve. You're burning the candle at both. And Mm -hmm. you can do it for a while. Like you can, Mm -hmm. you can do it for a while. And then you might be missing things or being less productive until you can't do it. Yeah. And that's the one thing is the body is at some point going to be like, and by the way, sorry, I'm going to shut down for you. I'm going to be giving you panic attacks. I'm going to be giving you anger. I'm going to be giving you rage. I'm going to be giving you depression because it is burnt out. It's exhausted. And we tend to be like, why am I having all of these symptoms? And one of the things is like, when, how, how is your sleep? I can't tell you, I get LOL next to the sleep thing question all the time, you know, like who has time? I'm so busy, but I think there's been sort of a feeling of I'm an accomplished person. I'm a motivated, I'm ambitious. Um, So all of that kind of insidiously weaves its way into how we view sleep. And we've looked at sleep as an obstacle to success in every sense of the word, rather than uh, you know, a, a, a catapult to success, to a, a means to be successful. So again, it's our attitude and how we get rid of these very closely held um, attitudes about sleep. It, it's tricky. Now, I will say there's a lot of misinformation about short sleepers because, ooh, I, I mean, people have said they've trained themselves. So, you know, I, and I've heard people say, I, I've learned how to get by on five, six hours of sleep every night. I figured it out. No, you haven't. <laughs> I, I I will just argue that till I'm blue in the face. No, you have not figured it out because that's not how it works. Okay. There is a genetic variant that will enable someone to do it, but they do it successfully. So they're not exhibiting the signs and symptoms you just listed. They're not having depression, anxiety. They're not dealing with obesity. They're not dealing with burnout at work caused by sleep deprivation. They're not dealing with all of the issues uh, of sleep deprivation. They're functioning well and they're healthy, both emotionally and physically. Those are less than 1% of the total population. Wow. So, and it's genetic. Okay. But it's not something you can learn. And oh my gosh. And and another thing, when you talk about shutting down micro sleeps, I am so, so passionate about the drowsy driving problem. I hate the word because it sounds sort of drowsy driving. No, it's like deadly drowsy driving because you can have a micro sleep and you're exactly right. Your body shuts down, your brain shuts down and you can turn up the radio as loud as you think it can go. Chew ice, chew gum, roll down the windows. I'm not saying don't do that, but don't drive drowsy. It's deadly. So we don't have any reaction. You will go into a micro sleep. Your brain turns off. You have no control because you're, that's how strong it is. And I think that's where we have to stand back and say, whoa, you know, we can't control sleep like we think we can. I mean, it controls us and it's a biological need. We wouldn't walk around saying, oh, hey, Amber, guess what? I only drank one sip of water yesterday. How cool is that? I mean, I'm so, I'm so, you know, strong and, and uh, you know, motivated to not drink water. I mean, it would just sounds so ridiculous. We know we need water. It's a biological need. It's not a characteristic, but we've done that to sleep. So, 
following, I mean, we have to look at sleep. It's not a luxury. It's a biological necessity. And we shouldn't be trying to get by on less. And we should realize and, and look at the people that, I mean, we got to help the people that are doing that and whether, and we got to start it at home with, it's got to be an individual. It's got to be a, a personal, a family, a classroom and workplace value, getting sufficient sleep every day of the week. I mean, I just think until we get that, um, we're, there's so many things that just won't fall into place. Yeah, that makes perfect sense to me. So um, when people say like, oh, I just catch up on sleep on the weekends. Mm-hmm. Is, is, is that possible to catch up on their sleep on the weekends? Do you actually repair that debt or is it more that you have to do it consistently? What, what is the, what's your take there? Well, it's interesting because the studies have shown, yeah, you can catch up, but the damage that is done on a daily basis by not getting the sleep you need, I mean, daily, we don't think that damage is, can be repaired. Mm. So that's what's kind of funky about this. You've got to really go for the night, seven to nine hours every night, because these are scary things. The link, the links to cancer, um, the links to dementia, Alzheimer's, that stuff is scary. And, and we're, you know, doing a lot of research in that, those arenas, but that's where you have, and our metabolism, diabetes, heart disease, um, some, some, um, I just yesterday read read an article about lupus and the connection um, to sleep, whether these are causal or not. I mean, we're, we're doing a lot of um, interesting research, but I think it's just safe to hedge your bets and look at it. This is a daily requirement right. because, and then we also, if you're sleeping more than two hours, say you're sleeping over two hours more than you do on a weekday, then that's another sign that you're not getting enough during the week. Um, but then again, we have the people that, I mean, they sleep a lot on the weekends. And then of course, Monday, Sunday night, then it's hard to fall asleep at their usual bedtime. Um, right. And then they get into another, a week of trouble falling asleep, trouble waking up. We really should find a consistent bed and wake time. I think that actually helps us fulfill our sleep requirement daily. And I think that a sleep routine a consistent sleep routine every single night prior to bed. Um, and it's good for kids. I think we, we all know it's good for kids and it's essential to get them transition their minds and bodies from wake to sleep, but adults should do that as well. For sure. Yeah. I talk about with my clients all the time. Like if you think about having a little one, like basically as soon as you feed them dinner, you're starting to wind them down. You're going through the sleep routine, but for somewhere along the way we transition, we think, Oh, as adults, I can work, work, work beyond my uh, phone until I'm in bed, laying mm-hmm. down and I close my eyes and you're like, why am I not sleeping? And you haven't given your body transition mm-hmm. time to wind down, change gears, um, get all that mental clutter out of your mind. You suggested the mm-hmm. list. And that's something we talk about with anxiety as well as getting that out of your mind, um, mm-hmm. placing it down somewhere so that your mind knows you're going to come back to that later. So that thought isn't pinging you as you're trying to fall sure. asleep, alerting you like, this is important. This is important. But you're like, not right now, right now it's sleep time. But sometimes your brain, I, I find in my clients, if you don't give it the space, to give it permission to fall asleep. It's, it's hard to fall asleep. It is. And, and your point, you know, this is interesting. Someone asked me recently about me time Yeah, and, you know, there are a lot of, you know, adults with, you know, we've got young kids running around and just so much we're doing every day. And, and one of the arguments from, from someone was Terry, I need me time and it's going to be at night. And it's going to be that time that I um, say for myself and just do whatever I want to do, like social media, read a magazine. But, you know, I I need that time. And and I get that. I get that. But I'll tell you, you know, if if we're going to look at this the way we should and the me time versus sleep time, I would just look at sleep time as me time like the ultimate me time. And, and, you know, and, and these time things are going to fluctuate depending on our situations, whether it's the age of our kids, how much we're doing every day, what point in our careers, you know, that, that where we are in our careers, I mean, it's all going to fluctuate, but again, 
there's time for me time, it, it, but don't trade it for sleep time. Mm-hmm. I mean, just because it, it's our health is at stake. Our longevity is at stake. Um, and again, everything besides that in terms of our relationships and everything you address with people, it, it's, these are all things that are hanging in the balance. And, and if we don't put that sleep in there, and I know it seems counterintuitive and I know it's not what people want to hear. And it's, how fun is that? It's not fun. It's, but we, we really have to change our thinking mm-hmm. and it, because it will be life-changing for many people. Right. Okay. So we've talked a lot about sleep, tr- trying to think about it differently, the pros and the cons of doing that. Um, I know you have a, a few different books. So if you have, if people are hearing about this, they're interested in your work. Um, what are some of the works that you have that people could learn more about you and sleep from some of the things that you've put out there? Well, I, sleeping your way to the top, we um, we embarked on that book a long time ago. And it's kind of interesting because I think it sort of mirrors what I've been saying to you about the collective disinterest and disregard for sleep. Um, my colleague David Brown and I were shopping that manuscript <laughs> a long time ago to uh, various publishers. And it was so interesting to hear that no one is interested in sleep. This is the feedback. Sleep is not relevant. No one's interested in it. And it's definitely not book material. It's just magazine article material. And, you know, so here we are banging our heads against the wall, just saying, you don't get it. You don't (laughs) read it. You'll, you know, you don't get it literally and figuratively. So, so it was, it was a hard sell. It was definitely a tough sell. Um, but it was, it was also released the day that the sleep revolution was released and, uh, that sort of, um, got, got in the front lead, which is great. Um, so, so at least I was so happy to see a collective heightened awareness and the publicity that all of a sudden, um, surrounded, I mean, it, it went from nothing to something right. in, in a short amount of time. And I was very relieved to hear that because again, um, our, our message and our message, I think was flip, you know, let's just flip the script on this, look at it in, in a super, like, how can this get me to the top? How can this um, propel me? And how can this really impact my quality of life? Right. Um, in every sense of the word. So so I think it's getting out there. I'm happy to see the the interest. I'm happy to see that you were interested in in, in tackling this topic because it's that important. And, and I I really do feel like we're still though in its infancy where it should be um everywhere. It's getting there. And but I oh, yeah, appreciate you have recognized so it. important. So important. Mm-hmm. I agree with you. It's in its infancy. People don't give it like what it deserves. Um, in my clinical practice, I see the time, even my personal life, I got, my husband gave me a smartwatch for my birthday yeah. uh, this last year and tracks your sleep. And actually I, I thought I was going to have all these other things. My most interesting metric is my sleep metric. Cause I didn't realize yeah. how bad I was sleeping until right. I knew I felt tired every day. And my acupuncturist, she'd be like, how's your sleep? She always asked me, I'm like, ah, it's, it's okay. And I, I'd be going to bed to give myself seven and a half hours. But when she kept asking, I'm like, it's fine. It's fine. But when I got the bio, like the data that said, your sleep is poor, your sleep is poor. And I yeah. realized every night I was only doing about six hours, 45 minutes every night. I wasn't actually getting more than seven. And then because mm-hmm. of the, the feedback on my watch, which I thought mm-hmm. was interesting, I adjusted it. So now I get about eight every night and now it consistently says good. And I'm like, I'm like, yeah, this is great. This is great. But I have to say for my own life, um, <laughs> I notice a huge improvement. And then when I see it mm-hmm. clinically in people all the time, how that impacts right. anxiety, depression, relationships, and like when all sorts of chaos is going on in some people's lives, I sometimes say like, can we just have you sleep? Like, I know that seems yeah. really simple. Like, we have you sleep and eat. That's the basic. Yeah. And I agree that it's just not talked about enough on a clinical level, on a personal level, but it, I agree with you. It's the foundation. And I was telling you, I get daily people pitching for the podcast and I, I'm like, I, don't have the capacity and no, I'm not interested in the topic. And I saw this and I was like, yes, people need to hear this. Let's talk about sleep. And and it's, it's so amazing because this is another thing they don't realize if you want to reach your healthy weight goals and your exercise goals, 
you've got to start with sleep. People are doing it backwards. And I say, look at it as a triangle, right? right. Sleep is the foundation. Diet and exercise completely dependent upon sleep. Oh, and I have an early flight and have I'm walking through the airport on five hours of sleep. I want every donut. All that, the carbs. I mean, oh yeah, I want carbs. I'm craving sodas and carbs. It's so crazy how quickly it happens. But if I have a good night's sleep, I don't even crave that junk. And then I'm you have motivation to go to the gym and you don't have to go to the gym at five or 6 a.m. You can exercise. There are plenty of people that exercise in the evening and sleep fine. See this, we've got to get, but I know people get stuck. They're not getting sleep, so they're not at their healthy weight and they're not getting exercise. So they're stuck. I say to those people, just start 10 minute walk. I guarantee if you start with just a 10 minute walk a day, that is a contributor to sleep quality that night. And the better sleep quality you have, the more likely that you're gonna do a 20 minute walk, then you're gonna sleep better. Then you're gonna join a gym in a, in a week. Then you're gonna start fixing some nice meals. You're going to, your appetite, you stop craving those unhealthy foods. It's sort of amazing. And the better food you eat, the better sleep quality you have. Right. So, so I, I, I know where people get stuck and that's why I say, just stop everything and start that sleep. And then mm -hmm. everything falls into place. It's beautiful the way it, it happens. Yeah. Okay. Well, if people are loving this conversation, they want to learn more about you, follow you, find you, where can they learn more from you? I am at um, terrycrawleyrn.com and I do work with the Better Sleep Council, which is a great group up out of Northern Virginia and they have lots of great sleep um, information on their website. That's bettersleep.org. And then the American Academy of Sleep Medicine has a fantastic website and that is sleepeducation.org. So those are some great resources and you can follow me on Twitter at Power of Sleep. Okay, great. Well, we'll put those links in the show notes as well. Well, Terry, this was such a pleasure to speak to you today. I've really appreciated it. If there's one thing you hope the listeners take, what do you hope they leave this episode with? Oh my gosh. Okay. Make it a... <laughs> <laughs> There's so many. Make sufficient sleep a personal, family, classroom, workplace value, period. That's it. Period. All right. Terry, this was beautiful. Thank you for talking about sleep, raising our public awareness, the work you're doing. I think it is so important. So just thank you so much for being on today. Thanks, Amber. My pleasure. Thank you for tuning in to Relationship Psych, the podcast put on by Ember Relationship Psychology. If you're looking for more free relationship help or advice that comes straight from the couple's therapy room, check out the free resources and the blog at www.emberrelationshippsychology.com.